Well, hey, I just want to tell you something. This is brand new information for you. Are you ready? Life is unfair. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're online, tell us who told you that first. If you're here in the room, think about that. It's probably not the first time you've been told that. Uh, Ann and I confirmed that this week. We were, we were in Orlando. Yeah. We were on the good side of unfair. You know, the good thing about life being unfair is once in a while you can get on the good side. I was going to try to gener- generate some sympathy for us that, trust me, most of the time we were actually in meetings inside and we, we didn't get to be out in the 80 degrees of sunshine. Any of you feeling any sympathy f- for me? No, that didn't work. Get rid of that picture. Thank you very much. Yeah. Life, life is unfair. Yeah, today is the first of a collection of talks leading up to Easter called Last Words. I don't know if you have been with someone in life who've spoken their last words. Uh, Ann and I had that privilege with my mom. Uh, my mom called my sisters and the two of us together. Uh, she was uh, suffering from the results of a fall. She had 10 days of a series of heart attacks and other conditions. She was in tremendous pain. Uh, she asked for palliative care, and as a result, they changed the care that she was getting uh, and reduced the pain, and as many people do in their last uh, moments or hours, became extremely lucid. And uh, so she was pain-free, and she was lucid, and she said, I want to have communion. And so uh, we found in the middle of the night some, uh, some uh, Gatorade and some saltine crackers. And we had communion together. What a beautiful thing. She got to say her last words to people that she loved. Some of you have had some last words experiences. Let me ask you this question. If you didn't know the rest of the story, and, and God said to you, I want to give you my 35 last words, would you be interested in that? The last thing his son Jesus was going to say to humans before the cross the 35 last words. So in this series, we're going to take each week between three and 10 of those words, and we're going to just marinate in them and hear those final words. So as I launch today, imagine with me 2,000 years ago, the brutalized body of Jesus, tortured, maimed, now carrying a harsh, sticky, heavy timber on his back, Pulling it up to the killing hill is where Luke picks up the story in Luke chapter 23. Notice these words as I read. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Stop for just a minute. Leave that slide up. We'll move on to the next paragraph. I'd never noticed this before. A few weeks ago, I started studying this passage. I I, I knew all about the final words of Father, forgive them. In fact, if you don't mind out loud, would you say those with me? Father, forgive them. I, I knew the God piece. I knew the forgive piece. We have a pretty good handle on what forgiveness is, don't we? We'll talk about it, but, but we know what forgiveness is. I, I had the God piece. I had the forgive piece. I didn't realize that I had no idea who them were. Who's the them in the story? 
And that's where some sparks are going to fly today. This is awesome. Take a look as we continue to read. I'm going to point them out. There's five groups mentioned here and one that's here by implication. Here we go. Number one, the people stood watching. Number two, the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Three, the soldiers also came up and mocked him, and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, you save yourself. Number four, the media, the written notice above him said, this is the king of the Jews. And fifth, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? So save yourself and us. I found this profound. When everyone turned against Jesus, the public, government, law enforcement, media, a criminal, and by implication, we know from verses prior, his friends had already deserted. His friends all deserted him. Jesus' response was, Father, you're the one that holds vindication in your hands. Get those boogers. Spare me from this moment. Take me off this cross. Send down lightning and strike them. All of the things that could have been done, he said. Say the three words with me, would you? Father, forgive them. Wow. What's your story of mistreatment? What's, what's your story of abandonment? What's your story of injustice. We live as broken humans with broken humans in a fallen world with a prince of the power of the air that is committed to killing and stealing and destroying. All of us have suffered. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you feel like everyone has abandoned you. All the other fellow classmates, that, the, the administrators, the teachers, all social media posts, that student that's bullying you, even your friends, it feels like has turned on you. Maybe you're an employee. It seems like somebody is out to get you. The fellow employees are talking about you. Management's lined up against you. Your team, your boss, the company gossip is going against you. Even your friends are not showing up at lunch with you. Or maybe it's in your neighborhood. This one's too close for Anne and me. Maybe Maybe someone decided to turn on you, take advantage of you for their own interests, and maybe they bullied and threatened and gossiped and slandered and lied about you long enough that you, you wanted to, to leave the neighborhood. Or maybe, and this is where it's really painful, maybe your big story is at home. Maybe that parent, that sibling abused you, took advantage of you, abandoned you, created pain for you, and what do you do? Made your life hell. Whatever injustice you have endured, the big question is how do you move through that and come to a place of healing on the other side? Virtually everyone who weighs in on this subject of bitterness has identified that really there's only one specific tool to move through that and beyond that. And you probably know the word. It's forgiveness, of course. Forgiveness enables you to let go of grievances 
of grudges, of resentment, and actually find yourself through that swamp on the other side at a place of freedom and peace and maybe even joy. The Apostle Paul believed that he was, on the entire planet, the human being who had done the nastiest stuff and needed the most forgiveness. The Apostle Paul also had a lot of nasty stuff happen to him and a lot of forgiveness that he needed to extend. I think he was an expert on this forgiveness stuff. And so he says, as he writes to his friends in the city of Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4, these words, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. While the words are still there for a moment, I want you to notice that he has several words that describes attitudes and behaviors. And in those words, he has bracketed them with two words. The first word and the last word are exceptionally important. The very first word is get rid of all what? Bitterness. And then at the end, go ahead, with, give us the last part of that verse. At the end, he says, I want you to give forgiveness. Now, the insight from his order there is that if we hold on to the perceived wrongdoing of the, wrong, the wrongdoer, that ultimately the most harm is done to whom? The person toward whom I hold the grudge or the one who is holding the grudge? And interestingly here, while Paul mentions uh, anger, which here is a very strong word, it's a little bit different than ours, but the idea where he mentions it, you notice that what Paul is, is putting in opposition to each other. The verses, one versus the other, it's bitterness versus forgiveness. Notice that he is not saying anger versus forgiveness. In fact, it's Jared's belief that in the face of real injustice, we will probably experience the emotion of, of anger. And that's because you've been designed in God's likeness and image. In the face of injustice, Scripture is clear, God experiences anger. So do we. It's what we do with the emotion of anger that sets us down two very different paths. And so today, we're looking at bitterness. We're looking at anger because, uh, at forgiveness, because anger, if it is nurtured the wrong way, will, it's probably not the right word, but will mature into bitterness. Anger that is bent toward forgiveness will be creative energy that will sponsor a whole lot of beautiful things for others. Contrasting. My experience is this. When I perceive injustice, I feel hurt if it's personal. Anger arises. That's natural. It's how we're designed. It gives us energy. It gives us awareness sharpens our senses. We're ready to do something. I've discovered that when I forgive, over time, anger begins to subside, and eventually the healing takes place. And for me, it's often a long time. So I want you to hear a story about Anne. Would that be okay if I told you a story about Anne? 
Uh, I'm not dumb. I asked for permission to tell the story about Han. Yeah. So uh, a few days ago, uh, Anne woke up early before the alarm. That, that's not uncharacteristic. Uh, but when I got up, I realized that not all was well. Uh, Anne was ticked. And I thought to myself, I hope I wasn't the reason for that. Any of you understand it's not a good way to start the day. And very fortunately, it was one of those situations where I was not the culprit, in fact. In the middle of the night, Anne woke up thinking about Ukraine and the images of apartment buildings and homes that have been targeted so that families are killed and maimed. The images of fathers with tears standing at the border as they are kissing and sending their family away as refugees. The suffering that is happening as people's services are being cut off and are now without water, without electricity, and without food. The difficulty of people bringing in relief as those pathways for relief to come are being destroyed. She woke up angry about the injustice that was happening. And I would suggest to you that God has designed us to feel deeply, quickly, and responsibly in the face of anger. And we've tried to let that channel that energy of anger into some helpful things. Like you, we have prayed. Like many of you, we have given money. Like many of you, we are caring for our brothers and sisters there in any ways that we can. I was, uh, was intrigued with this quote from a poet and author, uh, Maya Angelou. Uh, maybe you'll appreciate it as I did. She said, I believe in anger. Anger is like fire. It can burn out the dross and leave the positive things. But I don't believe in bitterness. Forgiveness is imperative because you don't want to carry that weight around. It will throw you down. It will not help you live life. Jesus said it even briefer. Father, forgive them. Them, yeah. When someone hurts you, you take hold of that anger, that resentment that's beginning to build, those thoughts of retribution that are beginning to form, and channel them toward forgiveness and good. So in reading this passage, I'm thinking through the them folks. Now, when I get ready for a message like this, I get messed with. Do you know that? Yeah. Do you know that I think it's only fair for you to get messed with too? Yeah. When some of you came today and you saw that I was speaking, were you nervous like you should have been about that? Yeah. The other folks are nicer. So any of you go to, want to go with me into get messed up with, Bill? Four of you? That's a majority. That's a quorum. That's a quorum. Here we go. I want you to think about those categories that Jesus was facing that he gave forgiveness toward. The first one were the people. Do you have any people groups that you probably should extend forgiveness toward? Uh, when we go to the gym each morning, especially during the winter, we wear you know, an extra sweatshirt or rain gear and usually take our phones and stuff. So when we come inside, uh, there's, there's little boxes that you put stuff in, and those boxes now have little 
uh, doors that go over them, and then you put a little, what are those called, those golf thingies? I don't golf. Those pokey things? Tees. Thank you very much. Thank you. Got some professional golfers out here. You put a tee in it, that locks it up, right? Yeah. So I'm just, imagine with me a whole wall that has these boxes on it. Most of them are about a foot square, and then there's some long boxes because some people have lots of stuff. And on those boxes. I want you to think about some boxes that you've created. I've created some boxes about those people out there. How about those people? How about those Democrats? You got a Democrat box? You have a Republican box? How about those Republicans? Do you have a box for illegals? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Have a box, those people? Yeah. You have a box for, well, there's boxes. How about, how about the next group? Of, how about the political leaders, the rulers? Any boxes there, those political folks? I wonder if any of us have a preference between the governor of Oregon or the governor of Texas. Any boxes? Any boxes out there? I wonder about uh, what kind of emotion these names evoke. Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy. Any, any emotion there? Just be quiet. Be quiet. I, I don't want to blow this thing up today. Just, 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 I'm just talking about, you know, hypothetical boxes on the wall down at the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not all of you at all are part of the Hillsborough School District. Many of you come from other places as well. But if, if you are a, a follower of the uh, Schoolsboro, uh, Hillsboro School District Board of Directors, if you're a student of them and following them, are you, what do you feel about these folks that feel this way and vote this way about some very controversial items and how these folks are feeling about that? Where are the boxes? Now, you know, if you know me at all, you know that this guy has lots of opinions. I have convictions. I I have opinions about things I don't even have information about. But I'm not talking about your opinion about things. I'm talking about personalizing those opinions around the them. Who's in the box? I, uh, I, I don't scroll most uh, social media much at all. Anne gives me the executive summary. So if you've posted something that she thinks would be helpful and important for me to know, she passes that on to me. Is that smart or what? Yeah. She's a much better person than me. Jared, you say you didn't need to say that. We've known that for a long time. She, she's able to absorb the hits from social media. I'm not. I just, I just, I find uh, words are deep to me. Uh, but, I, but I made a mistake just recently, and I was just scrolling through. And, uh, and you know, when I get Facebook, I get some of my, my peers, right? I get some of my older folks. And, and I'm scrolling through, and I thought, I thought that she was sweet. And man, she has just, I did not know that was in her because she was talking about some political leaders and her opinion not about the issues, but about the person. The names given that person were just were cringeworthy, right? I mean, I get that. I understand that. How about law enforcement? Can we talk about law enforcement? We have a son who's a deputy sheriff. I think about him. I think about him, what he does. I think about stories that I hear from my law enforcement friends about how things work internally. I have some opinions about that in some departments and areas. All of us have shared a year and a half ago some very difficult stories with law enforcement, especially downtown Portland. So we're in Orlando this week. This isn't uncommon for Anne and me when traveling out of state. People say, well, where are you from? And uh, how many people in the world do you think have heard of, heard of Hillsboro? You know, there's a Hillsboro in every state. So we just say Portland, Oregon. And that, and that sponsors that. Yeah, it's like, oh. So if they're empathetic people, it's compassion. You know, it's like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. 
You know, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. If, if, if they have no empathy at all, they say, you're still there? Are you that dumb? You're still there? Yeah. yeah Portland has quite a reputation. And I just, I just tell them, I say, the truth is all of Portland burned down. Uh, it's turned... <laughs> It's been, it's been turned back into agriculture. We have, a, we have a lot of really nice farmers markets now around the fringe of what used to be, what used to be Portland. Just go with it, right? I mean, just go with it. Here's the deal. Back with major summer of protests, we remember that Portland. So there was conflict, uh, conflicted relationships between the local police department and and federal law enforcement officers came in. You remember that? We had opinions about that. Yeah. And then, and then there was a district attorney that was elected that decided not to charge people that, that uh, law enforcement officers were arresting people for, but not to charge them for that and to let them go. We had some thoughts and some feelings about that. Yeah. There's some boxes on my wall about law enforcement, internally, externally, yeah. maybe yours as well. I have some thoughts about that. How about the media? Yeah, any boxes on the wall with the media? So uh, a few years ago, uh, I confess, I didn't realize it, but I had noticed something the night before on CNN, and I was informed, my, my good friend, that that's the Communist News Network. And so I decided that's probably not a, a media source that I should mention again. It didn't help our conversation very much. But when you hear, when you hear uh, MSNBC, when you hear CNN, when you hear Fox News, do you have any emotion that's associated with any of those? The media. Yeah, sure. So what do we do with emotion that rises, and if it's on the, I'm not even going to call it negative emotion, the appropriate emotion that's associated with something that we feel is wrong or a violation. What do we do with that? Well, we know what Jesus did with that. In the face of all of that, including the deepest betrayal of Peter who denied he even knew him, and Judas that sold him out for a wallet of cash. Jesus had one thing to say about all of that, about all of them. Father, say it with me, forgive them. So you probably uh, know that occasionally Ann and I backpack. Uh, that news to any of you, if you're just, just new People have heard backpacking stories here ad nauseum. If you haven't heard one of my backpacking stories, I'm so glad that there's somebody that's going to appreciate one of those today. But you all know that we go backpacking on Ann's year every other year. It's the bad year. It's the backpacking year. And on one of those years, uh, by the way, I am a perfect husband in this regard. I never let Ann know that it's a burden, that it's a... <laughs> A sacrifice of true love and a test of that every other year. I would never say that in friend, with, with friends and in any way insinuate that backpacking was not the joy of my life. I would not, <laughs> would not do that. So we're backpacking a couple of years ago. We're up in the Rockies in Montana, and we come to a lake called Twin Outlet Lake. Not a very imaginative name, but highly descriptive. The lake is situated so that the water runs one direction into one uh, stream and can equally go the other direction into another stream and go to very different places 
as a result of that. You know, I was thinking about that image when I was looking at this because in, in the face of injustice that we experience, it seems to me that we have a choice. We are the lake. And we make a decision in that lake which way we're going to tip the flow. And Paul writes, if you tip it one direction, you're going to go toward bitterness that's going to mature and it's going to spew out all kinds of critical, harmful things. If you choose to tip the emotion and the energy of that experience in another direction called forgiveness, that will set in motion a whole nother flow of direction that will be filled with grace and help for a whole lot of people, including peace for yourself. So we are finished now with the second period of the hockey game. I made a stake in the last service, and I said that we are now in the third period of the fourth quarter or something. I mean, mixed hockey and basketball, I don't know, but let's, let's do hockey today. And what I want to do in this last part is I want to ask six smart questions about forgiveness. I'll talk just a little bit, and then I want to leave you with three questions for you to ponder personally. First, smart question about forgiveness. What forgiveness is not? Forgiveness does not mean that you become best friends with the person who wronged you. Hmm. Forgiveness does not mean that you've decided to say what they did was okay. Forgiveness is not reconstructing reality and deciding that they have enough excuses so that what they did wasn't that bad after all. No. Forgiveness chooses to accept what happened as it happened, even though you believe it could have and should have happened differently. And you let that go. Second smart question. What are the benefits of forgiving? This is really fun. Studies that have been done, the list is much longer. I'll just mention a handful. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental and emotional health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, stronger immune system, improved heart health, and most important, maybe, just maybe, people instead of saying, you're a Christian, you must be cranky and judgmental, maybe they would say, if the Jesus you purport is actually like that, maybe we should have a conversation. Well, that's preaching. Let's go back to number four. Three, here we go. So how do you forgive? Well, I think, I think initially we have to face reality. We have to look straight at what happened to us, the injustice, the perceived injury or harm, what evoked this emotion that's there. Let's talk about it. Let's figure out what happened, by whom, when, and what the effects were. I think that's where we start with forgiveness. I think that we then acknowledge what those emotions are emotions and acknowledge the real harm done to us and the real losses created by that. And then I think we stand up as forgiven people in the face of those realities and choose to extend the person, forgiveness. Smart question number four. Does forgiveness guarantee reconciliation? 
Well, in most cases, I wish that it would. But I bet we've all had experiences where it does not. And one of the grievous losses that we're left with on the other side is that we have genuinely forgiven, but it seems like we can't be reconciled. In fact, sometimes, sometimes the person has died. Reconciliation is impossible. Sometimes the person refuses to be reconciled. That's painful, isn't it? One of the things that Ann and I have suffered, you've experienced it as well, but as leaders, I suppose we are particularly aware of it, is when, when we get canceled from someone in a relationship. It wasn't all that long ago. This was just one that came to mind, but it was just so tough. I still, you can still tell I feel, I feel the loss of the relationship. The person heard, I don't know if it was second or third or fourth hand, something about us that we apparently had done, uh, had done. And on the basis of that, they wrote a long email to us telling us about their grievances with what we had done and that they were ending the relationship. And at the end of it said, do not respond to this email. Do not reach out to me. I am done with the relationship with you. I do not want to have any communication with you again. So we can extend forgiveness, but, but we can only hope and wait for the possibility of reconciliation. There are some times that you forgive someone that you should not be reconciled to because it's dangerous. And you should not be in a situation of chronic danger. We can truly forgive even when there is not the possibility of reconciliation. Smart question uh, number five. What if the person I'm forgiving doesn't change? Any of you asked that one? Yeah. Can I take that forgiveness back? Exactly. Thank you. What if they don't change? Can I just tell you my experience? People that I forgive rarely change because I've forgiven them. Yeah. Yeah. I've just, I've just decided to, to, to reconcile with myself that if I'm going to forgive someone, that someone in the mix is going to change but it's mostly likely going to be me. I'm probably going to exchange. I'm probably going to eventually find peace. I'm probably eventually going to find some freedom. I'm probably going to eventually find myself not thinking or feeling as much about them or what happened or that loss and find my way forward. I hope they would change, but change is usually about me in the process of forgiveness. And number six, I mentioned there were six. What if I'm the one that needs forgiveness? I think what's been helpful for me is to get more honest about myself. You know, when I'm aware that someone feels that I've hurt them, where I immediately go, I don't know about you, where I immediately go is I begin to shape and remind myself of my context. My context always starts with motivation, but I didn't mean to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I go to intention, but, but I really intended to. Yeah. And then I go to my context. Well, if they would have known what a lousy day I'd had, they would have known that that just popped out and it really wasn't about them. Where I want to go is I want to explain myself to minimize the hurt that I caused. And I think if I'm the one that needs forgiveness, I think the helpful thing is to say, I caused hurt. I caused hurt. Just leave it there. And then, and then it's often appropriate, not always, but it's often appropriate to acknowledge that to the other person and say, I've, I've, I've caused hurt. I am sorry for that. Ask for forgiveness. Do that in a way that's unilateral. The other person has no obligation to offer forgiveness at that point or later. Notice that Jesus was forgiving people that hadn't apologized yet. In fact, they didn't even know they were wrong. They thought everything they were doing was right. He was so preemptive with his forgiveness, he forgave them without an apology. 
and we can do the same as well. Well, I mentioned I'd leave you with three, just a moment there. I want to go back for just a moment to the Apostle Paul. He's just so brilliantly insightful. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ and God forgave you. I was reminded this last week of a profound question. I actually read it about a year ago. Just, you know, you, sometimes you read or hear like a sentence and it just starts working its way into your brain and into your, into your soul. And I was grinding around this question. It was, what part of your narrative is no longer serving you? Interesting question. What part of your narrative is no longer serving you? You can say it this way. Jared, what part of your story of experiencing loss or suffering, pain or injustice, are you telling in a way that no longer brings value to you and others? Yeah. I was reminded of that because... We're at this uh, <laughs> exponential event. It sells out every year. There's uh, 10,000 people in the auditorium outside uh, in the, the lobby of the First Baptist Church of, of uh, Orlando. Uh, our scores are dozens of uh, vendors and people offering services, tables and booths, you know, you kind of scenario. Uh, Anne and the friend that we had gone there with, Joe, were already up in the balcony and were waiting for me to come, and so I'm pressing my way in this very, very crowded, huge lobby, uh, trying to get up there, and so I'm only trying to not run over people in front of me, right? You know, with all the zigging and the zagging is going like, and so uh, I'm just trying to not run over people, but I noticed that the periphery over here seemed to be a special person that caught my attention, and it was like this person was on the same angle that I was, was going to like cut me off at the pass or tackle me or whatever. It was like there was this intentionality, just to make it a beeline straight for where I was going to be. And, I, and so I, I looked over there, and I recognized her. I don't know her well. A limited relationship, probably uh, known her for four or five years and have probably seen her at four or five events and have had some relatively brief conversations, but I, I knew a little bit about her story. And I knew that she had, less than a year ago, gotten fired and as she came over, I looked at her, and I greeted her by name, and I said, how are you really? And she just started to unload. Thousands of people milling around and rushing by, and she's telling her story. Now, I know why she came to tell me her story. Because she knew enough of my story to know that it would probably be an empathetic ear. Now, this takes me back a year ago, to my question, what part of your narrative is no longer serving you? And that morning, I was journaling and I was writing some stuff down, and I thought, you know, part of my narrative is you and Ann were fired on the same day in a very embarrassing, prolonged environment, and you are still living with losses that happened from that firing. That narrative is absolutely true. Everything I just said 
is absolutely true. But in pondering, I thought, what could I say that's equally true that could be a perspective and an interpretation, a way of expressing our story in a different and now more helpful way? Is it still serving me to say we were fired and we're living with the losses of that? So I played with it. And I ended up with a different narrative. Now, by the way, we're talking years, folks. I'm not telling your story for any of you about anything in your life. It took me years to change the narrative. I don't think I changed the narrative too soon. I'll just tell you how it worked for me. I changed the narrative, and I wrote down, what if I changed the narrative too? I finished that season well and got to launch a new fresh season. Equally true, but now a more helpful narrative. She came rushing my way, and she tells the story, and she's shocked with herself because of the hurt and the pain and the losses and the regrets and the confusion that she is experiencing a year later than this, and she's embarrassed because she's still in this mess and this quagmire, and I knew that I had one thing to offer her, and that was empathy. And so I drew out the story, and I reflected back what I was hearing, and I, and, I, and I felt with her, and I expressed kindness toward her, and I experienced compassion that I expressed toward her. I had no intention of offering her advice. But she pressed me for advice at the end. And she said, you have been here, and you've learned some things. Thank you for listening, but what advice do you have for me? And I said to her, at some point, I found in my forgiveness story that it was helpful to ask the question, what part of your narrative is no longer serving you well? And I said I was able to change it from the victim language of they fired me and took stuff from me to control creative language I finished that season well and got to launch into a new fresh season. The Apostle Paul says, I'm using the metaphor of the mountains, when you are getting some new raindrops, troubling the waters in Twin Outlet Lake, you get to make a decision what you're going to do with that trouble. And you can send that trouble, if you want, toward bitterness stream. And that will explode out of your life and spew onto others rage. Violent anger that blows up your world and their peace. Brawling, the need to strike out and hurt with words and blows. Slander, saying words that tear down and destroy relationships. Malice, desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another. Or when the waters in your life are troubled with injustice, you can tilt ever so slightly toward forgiveness. And if you do, what will mature is kindness so that there is a disposition toward acting respectfully and kindly toward others, and it will tilt toward maturing into compassion where you not only feel on behalf of others, but you can extend and express that as well. Put aside 
all bitterness by forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you? Three questions. Number one, what, excuse me, how, how has holding on to past hurts affected you? Who? Who do you need to forgive? And where? Where do you need to be forgiven? I think the most profound revelation I had in looking at these final words, Father, forgive them, was that I found the them so general, so inclusive, so echoing across the millennia that my name was in the them. Yours is too. It's mind-boggling. You can't, uh, you can't conceptualize it. We're limited with three major dimensions and we're limited by time and space. It, it, we're limited by conditional thinking. It's so hard for us to conceptualize it. But it, can you just consider the possibility that this is true? That when Jesus, God's son, was being brutalized horrifically, unjustly, that your name was included in them. And that before you were, he saw you, and before you failed, he anticipated that. And in your worst moment, he was aware. And in that moment, he said, Father, forgive, put your name there. Father, forgive Jared. Father, forgive. We are horribly shackled with religion. And religion tells us so convincingly that to get God's favor, we have to do stuff to get there. Improve just a little bit. Get my act together just somewhat. Get to church at least X number of times. Stop doing that for at least four days. Whatever the, I got to make an effort somehow to get there so that I can pull him out of his cave where he begrudgingly lives, gets bothered enough, just compassionate enough to say, okay, this time I'll forgive you. Did I misrepresent what it feels like for some of us? Can you see him today on the cross saying, Father, forgive them? Can you imagine today how much, how much he's rushing your way to say, Welcome home? If you're online today, this may have been a profound moment for you. You're in your car, you're in your living room, wherever. And you know most of what we've been talking about today, but, but there was something that happened for you. In fact, you feel it. Your heart may be beating a little faster. It's visceral for you. Something's happening for you, and it is a revelation of God's love and forgiveness for you. You're in the room today. You are forgiven. Do you hear him say it? Father, 
forgive them, for they know not what they do. Would you stand with me if you're in the room? If you're online, would you prepare to pray with me? So what is it that's holding you back? Who is it that you should forgive? How will you receive God's forgiveness today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your final words to us that tell us of your love in profound ways and of your forgiveness, a choice that you made before we asked, before we apologized, before we repented, before we even existed, you're predisposed to forgive us. We don't grovel. We don't wait. We just come. And we confess our sin to you. And you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us your children, to give us the gift and the power of your Holy Spirit, and to make us forever a part of God's kingdom. Jesus, help us this week in forgiveness. Follow you as we forgive others in your strong name. Would you say together with me? Amen. Amen.